It was Tuesday, June the 6th, 1944, at 6.30 a.m. There were 5,000 ships carrying 160,000 Allied troops as they approached the southern beaches in France for the largest invasion in modern history of what we would now know as D-Day. And some of the men who survived this invasion said that they remembered the steady stream of communications that were coming over the intercoms on their ships. In the final minutes, as these ships would approach these beaches in France, they would hear things like, fight to get your troops ashore, fight to save your ships, and if you have any strength left, fight to save yourself. We may die on the sands of France, but we will never turn back. And another one says, this is it. Pick it up, put it on. You've got a one-way ticket, and this is the end of the line. And over those next 15-minute span of time, over 2,500 Americans would die on that day. As those boats reached the shores, these soldiers would disembark and literally had to crawl over other bodies of soldiers to get onto shore. And they, many would be killed. None of these soldiers thought that they were going to some exotic beach in France to have a good vacation. These soldiers got off this boat knowing that they were walking headfirst into an onslaught of enemy soldiers who wanted nothing more than to destroy each and every one of them. And at the end of the book of Ephesians, Paul pulls back the curtain on life and he shows us that we too are in the midst, no less stringent with an enemy that is no less fierce that we're at war and that we're at battle. And we don't see it. The tragedy is, for many of us, we have no idea that we're in a battle. Not a clue. It's, it's what I can't see is so much bigger than what I can see. Because we look around us, and we see the problems and the issues and the stresses that happen around us in the world. But it's not what I can see that should be of concern. It's what I can't that is so, so, so much bigger. But we have this tendency to approach life as a vacation rather than a war. We see it as a, a playground rather than just a battleground. But there, there's a battle going on. There's a battle that is raging. And we can wish all day that it wasn't the case, but it's the case. It is life. It is the reality that, that you and I live in. We are at battle with a real enemy. And unless we wake up to that, we'll probably end up as one of the casualties. And I'm going to show you this morning a couple of places where you probably have been in the direct path of this warfare. That maybe some of you this morning, you're going to wake up and realize I am in the middle of a battle that, that I'm being attacked. You probably have called it something else. But how silly would it be for you and I to show up on D-Day with a beach towel and a boogie board? Because that's how we approach life. We approach life in that way instead of understanding that we're in a spiritual battle for our lives. And I want you to hear me this morning. There's a war that is trying to destroy you. There is an enemy who is out to destroy you, destroy me, destroy everything that is around us. Anything that is of God 
the enemy is fighting. So in the book of Ephesians, Paul starts his conclusion. He's finishing the book up, writing to the church of Ephesus. And he says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm. Say that with me. So you'll be able to do what? Stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Now, did you catch that? All strategies. God has plans for your life, but let me tell you something. So does the enemy. And he knows your weakness. He, he knows everything that can be used against you to trip you up, to cause you problems, and to separate you from God. He's got a whole file on you. And so Paul here is telling the church in Ephesus, you better put on the, the full armor. You better stand and, because you're going to stand against all the strategies. There's not just one plan for your life. There's multiple strategies of how he's going to knock us off course with the things that God has asked us to do in obedience. So the two phrases here, stand firm. Stand firm. You can't escape the fight by running. You have to stand firm. And there are only two places in the Christian life where Paul says that Christians should flee. All right, here he says stand firm, but there are only two other places where he tells us when these things happen, you need to flee. He talks about it when there's sexual immorality, you need to flee. And when there's a love of money, you need to flee, right? So if it's about monies and honeys, you need to flee. <laughs> Everything else, we stand firm. We fight. We, we fight with the Holy Spirit. And so he, everywhere else you'll learn that we stand firm. We can't escape it. It's going to happen. But we stand behind that of the Spirit who fights for us. Because there's an enemy. And we don't know the strategies, but I can tell you who does know the strategy, and that is the Father. Because the Father knows what's best for his children. And so Paul here is saying you need to, you need to be strong. But some of us try to to overly step our bounds and we try to bring these protections and we try to protect our family from Satan. We'll, we'll put our kids in private schools and we'll wrap them up in bubbles and we won't let them do anything because we're, we're worried about what's going to happen to them. But the truth of the matter is those are all great things, but if we don't teach our kids how to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy, they will fall every single time. doesn't matter how much we protect them. And, and private schools are great. Filters and stuff on your internet, those are fantastic things. You should have those things. But if we're not teaching our kids the scriptures of how to stand firm, life will grab them right by the throat and sling them around. Because they, they won't know how to, how to act because the enemy that is out to get you is also out to destroy our children. You don't believe me? Do a Google search. Look at what the enemy is trying to bring in to our school systems, what he's trying to bring in through our television networks aimed at our children. And we have to teach them because, listen, discipleship is not just an adult thing. We should be discipling our children to know the things of God, to love the things of God, to fall in love with Jesus. So we, got, we all have to learn how to stand firm in the battle. We can't always run from it. Because when we're on the run, we're running the opposite way. When God's trying to create movement with us and we've moved in the opposite of where he's trying to go with us because we're, we're in fear 
We're in fear of an enemy who is already lost. The book of Revelation tells us in the end, Satan's a loser. He loses the battle. Why are we running from him? We have the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no reason for us to be fearful because we have the love of God and the love of God drives out fear. But yet, we pull back and draw back at the first sign of any kind of spiritual attack. It's in this battle that your strengths are more often liabilities because we'll try to fight things and think we got a strength and we can, we can do this, but our strengths can become liabilities because we don't know what we're up against. And, and so Paul is, is encouraging to stand firm, be strong in the Lord, not in yourself, but be strong in the Lord. And he continues in verse 12, he says, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. This isn't, about, this isn't against us. This isn't about Democrats and Republicans. This isn't about this group and that group. The, the, the battle is not with people who don't believe like us. The battle is not against the flesh and blood. He says, but the battle is against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Not of the things that we're seeing. They're being influenced by that of the unseen world. It's against mighty powers in a dark world, and it's against evil spirits that are in heavenly places. The enemy is not what I can see. The enemy is what I can't see. Your marital issues that you're going through, your spouse is not the problem. It's the enemy in the middle of your marriage creating this disunity. God has given you everything that you need for your marriage to succeed. And the enemy knows this. But he will dig down in between you and cause any kind of disunity that he possibly can. Because we, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. The relational issues that we have. Yes, there are people that can be absolute jerks. They're being influenced by the enemy. There are days that I can be an absolute jerk. Don't amen that. There are days I can be an absolute jerk. That's because I'm not letting the Spirit fill me in those places. I'm letting my earthly, sinful nature fill those spots. And Paul says we, we were in the middle of this battle, this, this unseen spiritual realm that's happening. And this, Jesus believed the same thing. In fact, Jesus will spend a large portion of his ministry in direct conflict with the demonic. And he'll summarize his whole ministry around proclaiming liberty to these captives, these, these people that are being held in spiritual bondage by the enemy. And his whole ministry is about setting people free. So, so Paul here in Ephesians picks up on this same thought process that Jesus kind of left off on. And so throughout this book of Ephesians, he refers to believers, our lives, as having these struggles that are a fight and it's a warfare. This is the terminology that Paul will use. And we have this warfare against these evil forces. And by the, end, by the time we get to the end of this book, we're going to see that he gives us a couple of weapons and some things, that armor that we need to have. But before we get there, we have to understand there is an enemy and we have to know our enemy. And we have to know this about the enemies. He knows everything about us. He's got a plan for us. He's got a strategy for us. And we've got to acknowledge that. 
C.S. Lewis says this, is when it comes to the demonic, people usually fall into two errors. Some will take him altogether too seriously, or people will not take him seriously enough. Because there's some people, and I've heard pastors say, I don't believe in the spiritual attack of Satan because I don't believe that Satan is real. And I'm like, Here's the Bible. You should probably study this because it talks about it all over the place. We'll start with Genesis chapter 3. But there are believers that do not believe that the enemy is real. How do you explain what is happening in our world today? Explain it. Because if there's not an enemy on the prowl and on the run, then God is an extremely unmerciful God. But there's an enemy. And sometimes we don't take it seriously enough. We don't take, we'll blame other people. This is their problem. This is that. They, they cause it. It's, call it what it is. It is sin. It is sin. When we see it this way, we pray for people differently, by the way. We pray. This is why Jesus is constantly casting demons off of people. The demons didn't mean necessarily they were always foaming at the mouth. Sometimes the demon was, man, they just could not seem to get it together with their life. They had relational demons. They had addiction demons. They, they, they had all kinds of demons that Jesus is casting off. So to me, it makes sense. And in a modern Western world, the best deceptions would not come from making somebody's eyes roll back in their head and foaming out the mouth or levitate six feet above a bed. But Satan works very stealth-like, very invisible-like behind the scenes to cause disruptions in our lives. Look what Peter says in, his, in 1 Peter chapter 5, 8. He says, be alert. So, we, so Paul tells us you better stand firm. Peter says you better be alert and of sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to, what is that word? Devour. Let's just pretend like we went to the zoo this afternoon. Okay, we're all at the zoo and, you know, you've already visited the concession stand and, and took out a second mortgage and we, um, we're walking around and an announcement comes on. Hey, everybody, just want to let you know a lion's out. We, it just, it kind of jumped its enclosure. If you see it, could you just report it and let us know? Do you continue going about your day at the zoo? No, you immediately start trying to figure out where's the exit, right? I'm going to my car. Because you're not going to treat that lightly, right? A friend of mine a few years ago was at the Columbia Zoo, and a gorilla got out. I said, well, what would you do? He said, it's a gorilla. What do you think I did? Like, we went back to the car. Those things will hurt you, right? It changes when we recognize that there's an enemy and there's something that could hurt us and harm us. The little kids that bang on the glass at the gorillas at the zoo, like, yeah, you you big and bold right now. Let's let's put you on the side of that glass and see you bang on that and see what happens. When when we understand that there's an enemy that's looking to kill us, we treat it differently, don't we? We treat it completely differently. And Peter says here in 1 Peter, man, you better be alert and of sober mind. You better be thinking with the right mind here. Because your enemy, the devil, because he names it, prowls around that shows me two things about this first satan is like a hunter hunters don't want to be seen they like to blend in with the environment 
and then take their shots as they can. So Satan's a hunter. That's number one. Number two, Peter calls Satan a lion, which means Satan's a part of the cat family, therefore cats are demonic. So it's biblical. It's right there in it. But just because you can't see him doesn't mean he's not there. He's there. And, and he's looking. It was in 1864, there was a physician. I'm going to completely butcher his name. Ignis Simmerweis. That's what we're going with. That's what I wrote, and I don't think my translation, it's a bad translation. Anyway, this guy's super important. Uh, he had this theory called the germ theory, all right, germs. Uh, we learned a lot about that in the year of 2020. And in those days, everybody thought diseases would just spontaneously just generate in the body. It just, it just happened, right? Uh, because there was something wrong with the body, like having, you might have too much blood, you might be getting too hot, something like that. So you, you, you would just get weird stuff happening. And, and so doctors would go between patients, and they would never wash their hands. So a patient would die over here, and they're like, oh, okay, oh, there's a baby being born over here, let me go help. And then they were going to help the baby be born, and nobody ever washed their hands between the dead corpse and the baby, and we we're trying to figure out why was the mortality rate, why are people dying, why were the death rates in the hospital so high? And he was perplexed by this, and he'd been to, he began to think that maybe, maybe, we're carrying these little small particles from here over here, and they're germs, and it's killing that which is alive. So he began to do some research because it seemed obvious to him that we were just being carriers of something that's microscopic and we can't see. So he tested the theory and he had interns. He said, you wash your hands with water and a little bit of chlorine before delivering babies. And he found that the mortality rates begin to decline. And he went to doctors and he talked to these doctors about, hey, here's why what we're seeing is that we're carrying germs over here and people are dying because we're not washing our hands and the doctors would not accept the theory because the idea was that there's no way that something we can't see is causing destruction and so at a famous conference he begins to plead with these doctors he said gentlemen for God's sakes please wash your hands and they thought he was crazy. Nobody listened to him. It would be two decades later before they would realize that we should probably wash our hands in between patients. His wife didn't believe him, and he would end up dying in an insane asylum. Many Christians are equally as naive when it comes to what's happening in their lives because they're just disbelieving in what they can't see. So you can say there's no germs here, but there, there are germs here. And it's what you can't see that can do the most danger and the most destruction in your life. So I would say that they, you, you can't just look around and, and, and say that, well, I don't see demonic stuff everywhere. I've had people say that. I don't, where, where's the demonic stuff that you're talking about? Like, do you need a pair of glasses? You good? Because it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Andy Stanley says it like this, and I thought this is a, a really good way to, to bring this point out, but Andy Stanley says that if you want to see the evidence for the demonic, you won't find it looking through a microscope. 
but by looking in the rearview mirror. That's not your kids, by the way. But it's in your past. You want to see the demonic at work? Look in your rearview mirror and look in your past. Like, can you look back in your life and see how there were certain temptations that were just too perfectly timed and specifically tailored and were just way too coincidental? How certain people just kind of came into your life at just the wrong time and wreaked havoc. You know what I'm talking about? There, there, there were times that there were questions that in just the right moment and just the right time, questions got planted into your brain about stuff that you were going through and it, and it wreaked havoc in your life. Am I, am I talking to anybody in here? That when you look back, you realize there were moments and times that things came in and things happened. Because the demonic is at work. He's at work. And if we look in the rearview mirror, we, we see that there was like this perfect storm that seemed to happen in your marriage. There was this perfect storm that seemed to just happen in your small group or in, in your group of friends. And all of a sudden, it just, it just spiraled out of control. It, it was perfect timing of how the enemy moves in and causes wedges and, and, and separates that happens because we wrestle not against flesh and blood but we wrestle against the rulers and the authorities and the spiritual evil that is in the high places he's at work so paul continues in ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13 he says therefore put on every piece of god's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy right adam and eve had a hard time resisting would you agree with that right? They had all the fruit they wanted. They decided to eat of the one they weren't supposed to have. He says, you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. We don't have, so he's, he's going back on his last point. You don't have to run. If you will just put on the armor, I'm giving you what you need to survive the fight. And if you'll just put this on and stand firm, when the battle is over, you will still be standing firm, not sitting down. You won't be knocked down. You won't be a beaten, battered entity. You will be in one piece standing firm. This is the promise. Paul's saying always be preparing for battle even when you can't see it coming. Because it is coming. You might be on a mountaintop right now and life is great, but let me tell you something. Don't think for one second the devil doesn't have his target on you, on your mountaintop experience, and will kick you off to watch you tumble. Because he wants to get you mad at God and wants you to walk away from God. It's coming. Say that with me. It's coming. What are you going to do? Two words. Stand firm. Stand firm. So what is this armor that Paul speaks of? Because we've got to know. So I'm going to run through this quickly. So let's read it. In verse 14, he says, stand your ground. How many times have we seen the word stand? Three times, right? Three times. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes. See, shoes are biblical, the gospel. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you who will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil and put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the Word of God. I want to break these down real quickly. And if you want to write these down, that's fine. They're not going to be on the screen. But he says, number one, there's a belt of truth, right? So that your belt goes around your waist. That's where it goes. It's to hold up your pants, okay? So your belt goes around your core, and it holds all the weapons. It holds the rest of the armor in place. And he says, this is a belt of truth. Paul means by belt of truth two things. We always think a truth is primarily a what, but in Scripture, it is first a who, right? So truth is in John 14, 6, he says that, that gird yourself up with Jesus. Um, make your identity in Christ the center of everything that you do. So this belt of truth is not a what, it's a person. It is Jesus. Center your life on Jesus. He holds all things together. So he says your first thing that you're going to take into battle is going to be this belt of truth. The only way to escape the deception of the enemy is to let the word of God shape your thinking and shape who you are and be the center of everything. These aren't just doctrines to learn in the scripture. These are survival tools. And we got to treat them that way. He says a breastplate of righteousness, a breastplate covered the vital organs of the body. So what does he mean by covering, covering our, our vital organs with righteousness? Well, for Paul, being covered with righteousness means embracing our identity in Christ. I, I've, I've centered myself. I, I'm identified in Christ. I identify myself with Jesus. And now he says here is that we're going to embrace that identity. I like the breastplate because there's a really interesting picture that it gives us here. And I especially like the Roman breastplates, which Paul would have been referring to, because in their breastplates, they already had the abs and stuff cut in. You know what I mean? Like, I don't look like I have abs right now, but you let me go put the breastplate of righteousness on. You'd be like, wow, you've been working out. No, I just got some Roman armor. Because here's the thing about it. It's a beautiful picture. Because it means that when I put on the breastplate of righteousness, you're going to see these beautiful, perfect pecs and abs at their finest. But I don't have it. I just take on the identity of the breastplate. That when I put Jesus on, I just take on his identity. I look like him, right? So Satan will use whatever part of you that's not surrendered to God and not whatever part is not conformed to Jesus to be his focal point of attack and, and it could be what we call a bad habit you know you, you might have that bad habit you know is sinful and you don't always take it seriously enough to break it but it's there or a temptation that you can't seem to take say no to let me ask you this question if you knew a year from now that Satan was going to bring you down what do you think would be the thing that he would use to bring you down Anybody? Just kidding. Don't answer that out loud. But I don't want you to think about it. If you knew a year from now he was going to take you out, what would he be using in your life to take you out? Because that's your weak point. You need to get that conformed to Jesus quick. Surrender that. So we got, we got the breastplate. We got shoes. I've often heard the sword of the spear is the only offensive weapon in the, in the armor of God, in the Christian arsenal. But that's not true. Your feet can be offensive weapons. I couldn't fight in school. I could talk a lot of trash, and I could run fast. Those are my offensive weapons. And, and, and so your feet are offensive weapons because they carry you forward into the battle. They are the things that help you stand firm in the middle of the battle. Paul says that we overcome Satan by going on the offensive with the gospel. 
with the gospel. First, we share the gospel with people. This is how we overcome the works of Satan. And the word of God can only go to work once it has been spoken to someone. And hearing the word of God is the only thing that creates interest in the word of God. And isn't that how you were? Because there was a point you had zero interest in anything of the scripture, but somebody shared the gospel with you and all of a sudden you were interested. Because we've been told and commanded to go and share the gospel, to go make disciples. And somebody shared it with you, and it made you want to hear more. We have to learn how to share the gospel. you got shoes, and you got a shield of faith. Satan's main weapons are the lies that he throws at you. And I know every one of us in this room can attest, it's like fiery darts into our hearts. You know, you're, you're not supposed to, to try to out-reason the enemy. He's smarter than we are. We're not supposed to be doing some type of fancy footwork to, to juke him and get out of his, his path. Those things don't work because he, he is shooting these fiery darts at us of lies and, and telling us things that aren't true about our lives. And God says that there's this shield that you're supposed to hide behind the shield. Stand firm. Which means anything that's coming against your mind, you need to take those, those thoughts captive because what God has said in the gospel about us is true. And when we hide behind that shield and every time we hear a ping coming from the enemy, when, when the enemy will hurl things at you and say things like, hey, you're not good enough, you're nothing, you'll never advance in this company, nobody really cares for you, oh, you think they're your friends, but they don't like you, and your marriage is always going to be bad, you're never going to be a good parent, you're always going to be sick, you'll never really get over this, oh, you'll never ever get out of debt, so you're just going to have to deal with it. When those arrows start to fly, Paul says you better be picking that shield up. You pick that shield up, because every time that it hits, you're going to be reminded of what the enemy wants to do and what he wants to say. But every time it hits, you're going to come back at him and say, no, 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 let me tell you something, Satan. Because he knows the scriptures. So if he knows them, you might as well preach them and let him know the truth of those scriptures and say, listen, Satan, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Just in case you didn't know. So go ahead and shoot your next target. And Joshua says, I am blessed in my coming and blessed in my going, Satan. So it doesn't matter what you do. Greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. God has plans to prosper me and not to harm me. And you got to preach these things. You can tell them I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. you got to preach. Because if you don't preach the gospel back to the enemy, he will preach to you. And we will buy into it every single time. So, so you have a shield to block these lies and to stand firm. And I can assure you, if you will start going through a montage of scriptures with the enemy, he'll get quiet. He'll flee. He'll flee. The, the last thing about that shield, which is impressive, these shields are created that they could be linked to your brother or sister next to you. That sometimes you don't have the strength to hold that shield up, but you sure have a church family that'll get behind and hold it. When we tell you that don't, don't just try to disappear out of here. Don't, don't disconnect from the body. When you disconnect from the body, you disconnect outside the circle of shields that bring you protection. He says there's a helmet of salvation. Paul's telling you to let the truth about salvation and God's grace Get into your mind, conform your mind, transform your mind. Then there's a sword of the Spirit. 
we got a sword, which is the Word of God. But he's telling us again to master that book. Learn it. Learn it. Because it gives us the ability to counteract Satan's lies. And listen, there are pastors that are preaching lies, heresies. And they're filling their congregations up every single weekend with these lies that are not true and are not of the Scripture. And you know why it's happening? Because the people aren't being people of the Word of God. The Bible says there would come a day when people will just be tickled on the ear. The pastors will just preach whatever made you feel good. And they will flock to you. We are in that time. Master the book. Your ability to overcome Satan is directly proportionate to your knowledge of the Word of God. Learn it, read it, memorize it. I can't memorize it. Yes, you can. I could start singing a song from the 70s and you would know every word. Yes, you can. Put it in song form. Just start singing it, right? For God so loved the world. Just whatever you got to do. Get it in here. Listen to it. Be so saturated with the Word of God that when life cuts you, you bleed God's Word. Because it's coming. It's coming. Be so saturated that when you're cut, it bleeds God's word. Because when it bleeds God's word, you heal a lot faster. And here's one last thing I want you to look at. Verse 18. He says, pray in the spirit. Remember last week, Paul's telling us that we're to be guided by the spirit. If we'll live by the spirit, walk in cadence with the spirit, we won't do dumb things. And this week, he's saying in Ephesians, Pray in the Spirit. When? When do we pray in the Spirit? All times. Not sometimes, not just when life gets really bad. We pray in the Spirit all times. And on every occasion, and get this, stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Many times people don't include this in the weapons. But it is, and this is our main weapon. Notice that prayer is not something that we do only in preparation for battle, but we do it when we are dressed for battle. And I say this because we often treat prayer like it's only a preparation for ministry. And according to Paul, prayer is the ministry. It's what we do. It's what we do. So the book of James tells us the same thing. It says that the most effective thing that we can do is pray. The fervent prayers of righteous people can change history. You don't believe it? We're here today because of that. Prayer is where we put into practice what we believe about the gospel. Prayer is not the only thing that we do, but it's the first thing we do and it's the most effective thing that we do. Do you know how much prayer and compassion God's ready to pour out on us if we would just pray and seek him? Paul's last words are to tell us that yes, life is a war, but we can and we should be confident that we have a God who is willing to fight for us. The unseen one is the one who will fight and win. Did we have to do any fighting, by the way? What, are the, what is the one thing that we're called to do? Stand? Don't have to fight. I have to burn my energy. The, the Father is fighting for us. When we use all these pieces of armor, we're simply learning how to apply the gospel that God, that Paul has preached. These aren't new spiritual strategies for us to learn. 
But this is learning to cover our life in God's strength. The way to fight Satan is not to focus on Satan, but to cover your life with the gospel. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. The preaching of Christ is the whip that flogs the devil. I think today is the day that we get the whip and we get the beating. Because I think you would agree. And it's not life that has beat you down. It is the enemy that has beat you down. And we have the whip right here to begin proclaiming the gospel because every soul that has turned back to Jesus is away from him. And his kingdom dies and the kingdom of God continues to, to get bigger and bigger. I want to pray for you this morning because I'm, I just want to be real, real with you. Anytime that we start talking about this, these things and you start getting serious about it, and you start standing firm, the pressures come. The enemy's attacks get tougher. I remember when our elders, we installed our elders, I told them, I just need to be honest with you and I'm going to be real with you. The attacks are fixing to come. When you stand in the place for the church, for each other, the attacks are going to come. And I think everyone, I want to tell you that something happened within the first week. The enemy came on. Because he wants to ruin this. Where God unifies, the devil divides. He, the, the devil is a counterfeiter. Counterfeits everything. I want us to be a church that stands firm in his word. And that we link up shields with one another. And we fight with one another. We stand firm. You need encouragement? We'll encourage you. You want somebody to pray over you? We will pray over you. Do not do this alone. There is an enemy that is prowling and will devour you. Do not become a casualty. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much right now in this moment, Lord. The enemy is so crafty. So crafty. Even as we see in the very beginning with Adam and Eve, he was so crafty just to question things that were of you and to deceive God, I pray for every family right now that is under your attack. I pray that they will stand firm in your word, in your promises, in you. I pray for the moms in here that feel like they're failing at what they're doing. God, hold their hands up. Help, help us to stand around the single moms in the room that feel like they're all by themselves. Help us stand by the moms that feel like they're failing. Pray the same prayer for the fathers in the room that just feel like they're just not good enough to be a dad. That they've bought into the lies that they're just like their parents and they have issues against their parents, Father. I, I just pray that they would see you as the father and you would be the example. Break that stronghold right now in their lives. God, for those who there has been a wedge dug so deep and so many relational things that have been damaged that they can't even stand to look at one another. They can't even bring themselves to say anything positive. God, I pray that you would bring conviction in their lives right now and forgiveness would begin to flow. That is the devil. 
That is the enemy at work in this place. God, as we sing and proclaim, I pray in these next moments that we will identify the areas that the enemy is attacking us. We will trash the lies that he has said about us and we will proclaim the truths of you. May we have courage to look at the person to our left or to our right and ask for prayer. God, right now we just pray that you would set people free. The enemy might be prowling. He might be trying to devour us, but God, we know that he is on a leash because you have put him there. He is on a leash and you are on your throne as sovereign God. So right now in the moment, free us. Free us. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus that breaks every stronghold. Every single stronghold. Amen and amen.